Hi, and welcome to the Writing and Marketing Show brought to you by author Wendy H. Jones. This show does exactly what it says on the tin. It's jam-packed with interviews, advice, hints, tips and news to help you with the business of writing. It's all wrapped up in one lively podcast, so it's time to get on with the show. And welcome to episode 92 of the Writing and Marketing Show with author, entrepreneur, Wendy H. Jones. Today, I'm going to be talking to Charles Harris about um, writing satirical novels. And I'm very much looking forward to that. But before then, what's been happening with me? Well, I was down in London for a couple of weeks and I actually met up with Charles. Uh, and we met in the cafe at Foyle's Bookshop, which is a fabulous place for writers to meet. And it was so good to see him because we hadn't seen each other for uh, nearly three years because of COVID. We were meant to be catching up at London Book Fair, but London Book Fair was cancelled. So we weren't at it and we couldn't catch up. So it was so lovely to see him. Um, and I also met up with some friends from Sisters in Crime. So that was good as well, um, getting to meet people for the first time. And I had so much fun in London. I got so much research done. I just cannot tell you how much I got done. And I love historical research. I've discovered that. Um, so what's been happening in the world? Well, COVID is still around and just we, we think that maybe it's over, but it's not. I'm still wearing a mask. Um, I'm waiting to have my third vaccine. and But a lot of people are not wearing masks anymore. But I'm still doing what I'm meant to be doing. Um, here in Scotland, we are encouraged to wear them. In fact, it's law to wear them indoors. And we're still meant to be one metre distancing. And I'm trying to do all of that. But hey, it gives me time to hunker down and do some writing, which is amazing. Um, I've also got uh, from now, uh, from the 22nd of October, right up until the 22nd of December, I have so many um, book signings and book festivals and things coming up. And I'm very much looking forward to that. It's so good to get back into it and to be able to meet the public again. But again, doing so safely. And that's what's important at the moment, doing things safely. Um, so, if you'd like to know more about me and my books, as you know, I write crime fiction, uh, I write humorous fi- crime fiction, I also write young adult mysteries, um, I write uh, children's picture books, and I write non-fiction for authors. And I, have, I was speaking to my publisher uh, when I was down in London as well, and I may just have another project in the making. So watch this space, or listen to this space, should I say. As always, I love doing this podcast and I love bringing it to you every week. Uh, I enjoy uh, interviewing people, but it does take time out of my writing to uh, record and prepare the show. And if you would like to support this time, you can do so um, by going to patreon.com forward slash Wendy H. Jones and you can support me for just $3 a month which is the price of a tea or coffee and I would be very grateful. Uh, If you want to find out more about my books as I said you can go to wendyhjones.com which is my website and if you want to follow me on social media you can do so at wendyhjones.com so it's all very easy uh, no wendyhjones at wendyhjones on social media so wherever you go and you type in Wendy H. Jones, there I will be. I'm the only one as far as I can gather, which is a good thing, really, because you'll be able to find me. 
So what of Charles? Well, Charles Harris is an award-nominated author and award-winning filmmaker. His debut political satire, The Breaking of Liam Glass, was an immediate bestseller and has been shortlisted for two international literary awards. His second novel, Room 15, is a psychological crime thriller, in addition to which he has written two books on screenwriting and one on police slang. He lives in Hampstead with his wife and two cats. I love the sound of that one on police slang. I'm going to have to get that. So without further ado, let's get on with the show and hear from Charles. And we have Charles with us. Welcome, Charles. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Wendy. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's so good to have you uh, here in Scotland with me, even though you're not in Scotland. Virtually in Scotland. Yeah, virtually in Scotland. Although you will be in Scotland soon, won't you? Why are you coming up to Scotland in November? Coming up to Brechin, the Brechin Book Festival. Looking forward to it enormously. You're going to be one of our auspicious authors at Brechin Book Festival. So if anyone's listening to this and they're anywhere near Brechin, remember Brechin Book Festival's coming up and you'll be able to meet Charles in person, which is a delight, I can tell you. (laughs) I'm, I'm flattered. If you're sitting comfortably, Charles, then we'll get started. Mm-hmm. Right. So so we all know where we're at and we're all on the same page and all the usual things. We're going to be talking about satire today. Now, I know we probably all think different things of what satire is. So what exactly is satire? Okay, good question. In fact, it's, it's a very interesting question because I've done a lot of talking about satire and I've written books and... No one's actually asked me that question, Gosh. Um, you know, uh, and I think it's it's well worth going into. First thing is, is worth saying what satire isn't. Yeah. Uh, Peter Cook famously said um, he talks about the, uh, the German satirical cabarets of the 1930s who famously stopped the rise of Hitler and prevented the Second World War. <laughs> um, and so I think, I mean, I, I mean, obviously that point is a satirical point, it's a satirical comment. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a bit of barbed wit, and it kind of like all good satire, it hurts a bit and it hits the spot. But it's not actually it, it's it's based on a misunderstanding, I think, which is that satire. We'd like to think satire changes things, but I don't think satire is the job of satire is to change the world. I think it's the job of politicians, even though they change it usually for the worse. But it's <laughs> it's it's satire is is a genre. Um, and I'll go into lecture mode because I've lectured a lot on genre. Genre is something people don't talk about very much intelligently, I think. What generally happens is you get, in the film world, you get this horrible phrase, it's only a genre movie. And you get a kind of similar thing, I think, in, in books. Is it, It's like genre seems to be like dismissive. It's a genre book. But all genre, if you know you're French, all genre means it's a kind of something. You know, so what we're saying is it's a particular kind of, in the case of satire, it's a kind of comedy. There's various kinds of comedy, and satire is the one where people don't really grow. There's no inner story. There's no character arc. In most stories, you know, if you're watching, I know, let's say, say the film, film Tootsie, the guy starts off as a, as, as a bolshy, difficult actor, but by the end he's kind of grown and learned and softened a bit yeah. through the story of Tootsie where, where, you know, where he has to you know, be, pretend to be a, a, an actress and in a soap opera. And... Um, bumps up against his own um, his own issues. Satire doesn't do that. Satire, you're go- the, the, the characters are stuck in their stuff. It's the, you know, one of the most important things about satire is they, they don't grow. And that's where, where the comedy comes from. The fact is they, they're stuck. Whether, it, whether we're talking about 
something like Catch-22, the book or the film, or MASH, the movie, yeah. uh, Wag the Dog, which is one of my favourites. You know, mm. you've got these people who are, are are stuck with their their issues, and those issues in satire are usually, you know, to do with hypocrisy or you know some some form of not living up to their standards they're pretending to live up to, uh, maybe misuse of power, abuse of power. Um, and it's usually attacked with savage wit, and the more savage, the better. Satire is a very savage genre, which is why you need the comedy. So that, comedy is kind of like the sugar you put in the medicine. Um, and the other thing is almost invariably topical. We can talk more about that later, but it's quite difficult to do a satire that's not topical because it has to hit that bullseye for the audience or the reader yeah no that's a brilliant explanation actually so really detailed and we know exactly where we are now which is fabulous because to be honest I think we all struggle a bit as to exactly what satire is you know and you read satirical books and you think oh well I'm not exactly sure what it is although I know I've enjoyed it you know um and I know satirical literature and you've touched on this a little bit has a long history can you give us some examples of satirical writers in their books and which would be the one you would advise authors to read to really get the satirical voice well the first satire we actually have that's that survived actually comes from from classical egypt um it's called the satire of the trades it goes back to somewhere around 2000 bc so we're talking about 4,000 years ago. Um, and it's kind of probably more interesting for the fact it survived than, than any great humour. Um, I think uh, <clears throat> the, the thought that satire would, that humour would survive 4,000 years is probably a bit hopeful. Um, <laughs> but it is, I mean, it, it, it's basically about, it's, it's a scribe, uh, you and me would call an author, um, being extraordinarily rude about all sorts of other people who do different trades that he looks down on. Um, so not much has changed there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and it is amazing that it survived just about in its entirety, although it was a bit corrupted. And um, you can actually get it online. You can even you can read it. It's quite short. <clears throat> um, and in fact, I've got a link, a book, a book I've got on how to find satire online for free. I've got it, um, which I can talk about later if you're interested. I've, I've, got, I've got a link to it in there. Yeah. And then we've got you know, people like Hipponax, who was Greek. Um, uh, the And then... Aristophanes, which, I mean, is still, I mean, Lysistrata, for example, which is his great, one of his great plays, um, somewhere around 400 BC. Um, wonderful story, which is constantly still staged today, about women who decide, wives who decide their husbands are spending far too much time killing each other, going to <laughs> war, and they essentially withhold sex. Oh, um, and they say, that's it, no bed, no rumpy-pumpy unless you stop fighting. Uh, and that's the play. It's a lovely a lovely premise for a play, and it's, quite, I say, it's constantly being revived even to this day, which is pretty amazing, something written well, two and a half thousand years ago. Yeah. Um, the first person who actually was, and there are examples of Chinese and Indian satires. Um, they, they exist, you know, we tend to focus obviously inevitably on the European tradition but there are there are other ones that are very good but the first person who actually the word satire was used for was juvenile the the roman uh, author who wrote satires but they weren't funny they were i mean they're, they're worth reading you can easily get they're, they're available in paperback still today they're available on, uh, again on download um 
they're scathingly, scabrously rude about, um, again, hypocrisy, um, rich people who spend too much money on, on fripperies, on food, on um, on mistresses, or in many cases, lovers, you know, women when they're lovers. Again, not much has changed. Um, it's, it, sounds, it all sounds remarkably familiar. Um, and, um, and they are well worth a read. Um, not long after that, people did start to bring humour into satire. Uh, I mean, the, the great example in British literature from um, earlier times is, is Jonathan Swift. I think just about everybody knows Gulliver's Travels, though yeah. many people introduce it at school and don't realise it's a satire. It's uh, there's the five books of Gulliver's Travels, of which we generally only see the the Lilliputian about the little people, but it's there's a, there's probably nag about the big people, and there's all sorts of things about intelligent horses, and I mean it's all a satire on attitudes, on politics of the time. It's some very rude stuff um, about um, about the British, the English king at the time. Um, I mean, if you know your history, a lot of that stuff is directly related to uh, specific historical events of the 18th century. Mm. But it's very readable, even if you don't know that, and very and and still funny. Mm. Um, there's uh, Samuel Butler's Era One, which was a satire on the idea of utopia. Um, and if you are very clever at anagrams, you'll realise that Era One is nowhere spelt backwards. And uh, and it's it's kind of this satirical place where everything is reversed. People get um, thrown in jail for being ill, uh, but if they commit a crime, everyone's very sorry for them. It's uh, it's it's it, 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 it's imagining a world where, in the same same way that Bunuel did in movies, um, in some some of his great um, some, some great movies like um, Phantom of Liberty, he imagined a world where everything we take for granted is the opposite just to show that we do take these things for granted and maybe they aren't necessarily the right way of looking at things. Mm. Um, coming up more to present day, well, I think probably my go-to book would be Catch-22. Mm. I, I mean, my copy of Catch-22 is falling apart. I've reread it so many times. And every time I, I write my own satires, I tend to go back to that just to see how he did it because he Heller did so well at it. Um, so if you're going to read one satire, I'd probably go for Catch-22. Uh, but there's some more modern ones. There's A Circle by Dave Eggers, which is a satire, sort of dystopian satire on Google and um, the way the these large um, social media stroke uh, internet companies are taking over the world and, try, and trying to take over our lives. Um, and it's Carl Heisen, um, the American writer who writes amazing not always marketed as satire, but they are satirical, ecological thrillers, um, political takes. Um, books like Star Island, which is a, a satire on celebrity. Um, and Striptease, which was made into a movie, which he disowns quite rightly, I think. Also <laughs> <a movie. clears throat> um, I missed out on the way there, of course, Evelyn War, one of our great British satirists. I mean, Scoop is a wonderful satire of the newspaper trade. And again, uh, uh, my copy of that is is well well thumbed. Um, Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe, um, beautiful satire on New York, um, high high living, and uh, so called masters of the universe who thought they were running everything um, through the finance through the finance industry. 
uh, Booker Prize winner, The Sellout, um, by um, Paul Beatty, which is an interesting satire on, on um, racial attitudes in, in America. So, um, yeah, where, where do you start? Where do you finish? Yeah, there is. Yeah, you're right. There are so many satires throughout history, and I would agree with you about Catch Twenty Two. I think that's the the most famous mm. satirical book that most people will have heard of and read. Mm. You know, because it, it is a satirical book, and you can read it at face value. But then there is more to it than yeah. just what there is. A brilliant book. So yeah, um, but I mean, writing satirical novels, it's not something I've actually thought about. Why do you think authors should consider adding satirical works to their offering, or should they? I think it's the same answer with any genre. First, you've got to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't enjoy reading them, then you're not going to go do very well at writing them. Uh, and, and I've got, a, I mean, an experience from my own background. Uh, at one point, I loved reading um, uh, short stories for women's magazines. Mm. Um, I thought them great fun and I wrote a lot and I sold quite a few and in fact I probably made more money from some of those per word than I have anything else I've written Gosh. and I had a lovely time under, under assumed name I used, I used a different name Hilary Rain um, and then I went off and did some other stuff I was doing quite a lot of screenwriting and, and, and directing and uh, and I thought I'd come back and do some and I tried writing a few and I couldn't sell a single one um, you know I mean I, I could have you know couldn't have got arrested waving one. It was just, it was just um, nothing was, nothing was going. And I realized it's because I'd stopped enjoying reading them. Mm. I was doing it as a job rather than just because the fun of it. So you've got to enjoy it and you've got to have something to, to say. I hate that thing to say, because I think, I, I think you can kind of, you can, sometimes you find what you're going to say as you write. I think it's a, it's a bit of a lot of hype about, you know, you've got to, someone's got to have their, their message, their thing they have to say. But you certainly have to have some anger or something you feel an injustice or something you feel is going wrong, something you want to kind of pin with your vitriol. No, that, the, the good point, actually, you do need to, you need a point and you need to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy mm. it, then you're not going yeah. to do well at it. So I would yeah. agree. Um, so, I'm displaying my ignorance a bit here, but what actually makes a book satirical? Um, I think it comes back to kind of what I was saying at the beginning. I mean, it's got a, it's got a certain savage humour. Mm. You can do it's possible to do satire without humour. Like I said, some of the first ones didn't have humour, and Julian didn't have humour. But it's a much tougher sell because it's so vitriolic. You'd have to do something like American Psycho, I suppose. You could say is satire without humour. I mean, it's it, because. It, you, you've essentially got to go so much to the other extreme that you get the, the fun is in the, the sheer nastiness of it. Um, and you certainly can see that in juvenile, but most of it, it has to have, it has to have humor. Um, and that's, um, there's a film, um, by, I think it's Alexander Payne called election about an election of, uh, uh in a, in an American co- um, school, high school. Mm. Um, and I've, that's a difficult film because it is a kind of satire on the whole American college system, um, but it's not, it's not funny. It's deliberately not funny. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a difficult watch. Um, I mean, it's, it's, he's a great filmmaker and it's generally done quite well, I think. But it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's, I'd say you need to push the humour. You need to, um, he needs to have that topicality. Mm. Again, it's quite difficult. You know, if you do, if you do a satire about, say, classical Greece, 
I think you'd have a problem for the audience thinking, well, so why am I sitting through this? What's this telling me? Mm. Um, even something, if you're putting on Lysistrata, for example, most people do it in modern dress. But even if you didn't do it in modern dress, you'd be saying, okay, so what is the relevance to today? And I think you can fairly clearly see what the relevance you know, of, of today is. You know, um, We still have wars. We still have mostly men fighting them and women trying to stop them. <laughs> so, you know, I mean... <clears throat> So, and what makes it satirical is that that savage humour, that um, pinning of the bullseye, of, 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 of finding something, finding a truth that you really want to get across uh, in, a, in a comic way. Mm. Excellent explanation. Thank you. So I'm curious, where on earth does one start when writing a satirical book? What's our starting point? Well, it leads on almost exactly from what I just said, which is you start with where do you feel angry? You know, where's the hypocrisy? Where's the injustice? Mm. Um, I mean, my book, my debut novel, um, The Break of Liam Glass, I was looking at, you know, the horrors of journalism, the way the tabloid industry savages people without even thinking about it. And I thought, what makes people do this? You know, what? I, and and I've, I've met a lot of journalists and I did a lot of research as well. And, um, and I'm, you know, and you're thinking these people are generally intelligent, literate, well-read, you know, the kind of people who would probably go home and listen to classical music or, you know, sort of pet the dog. And they're not evil ogres for the most part. Um, there are a few. Um, that guy used to edit The Sun, I think, is probably going to be burning in hell <laughs> somewhere when he gets there. But um, it's so... What started me off was those, those two thoughts. Firstly, all these, the injustice, the horror, the things people do, but also what makes someone who seems to be perfectly okay, nice, well-educated person do this kind of stuff? Um, and it was interesting. I mean, there's, there's some, you can find quite a few examples of people talking, you know, either in podcasts or on in writing on the internet of, how they were journalists who were just kind of sucked into this kind of morass. Sometimes it was just a, the, the pressure was put on, you know, you've got to sex up the story, say this about this person, even though it may not be true, tell this person's name, even though they were supposed to be anonymous. You know, I mean, there's constant desire. It's, it's fear, isn't it? It's a need for uh, readers, uh, a fight for the, a fight for against the, the rival newspapers. Um, and so I started with that, and then I started researching um, and looking, you know, looking at the sort of how it actually worked. I, and, and most newspapers didn't want to know, um, but some were enormously helpful. The, the, the Daily Mirror was enormously helpful. I sneaked into the Daily Star. Somebody sneaked me in. The editor wasn't supposed to know I was there. Um, so I sat in on sat in on editorial conferences and. Uh, it was it is fascinating, and some of the things people told me. Um, and I, when I do research, I always say, "Look, this is off the record. I'm I'm looking for deep stuff. I'm not going to use your name or specific examples." But some things I went in, you know, obviously anonymized. But some of the lines of dialogue were things people have said to me exactly. Um, some of the things that happened went straight into the book, I and mean, it's like they were writing my book for me at times. It was wonderful. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that's you know sort of I you know I started developing you know and seeing okay where's this story take me, 
and I had at the same time I had a story, a short story that actually um, won an award. Um, one of the first short stories I wrote about a kid who'd been stabbed in a kind of possible mugging and left um, left in a coma. And he, that's Liam Glass, he became the center of it. And everybody, the piranhas, are trying to feed off him and his story. So, yeah, the, the, the starting point's obviously having a, a premise that you want to unpick and say this is not what should be happening. It's quite horrific, really, in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's quite dark, but then you you bring your humour into it uh, where you can, uh, and, and, and start developing characters because yeah. I, I needed a character, and the character yeah. emerged with Jason Crowthorn, who's this journalist who is kind of on the slide. He's he was once young journalist of the year, mm. still waiting to try and claim his Pulitzer Prize, um, but is about to get the push from his local paper until he. He stumbles across the story of a decade, mm. um, and this is the one that he is, he feels is going to make his name. Um, it's, it's about the secret this boy on the, in the coma has, Liam Glass, yeah. that nobody else knows, and he doesn't yet know, but he knows he, he feels pretty sure he can find what the secret is. He knows it's a big one, mm. uh, but to get into the into the newspaper, the bit the big tabloid that he's going to sell to, he has to tell a little lie. And that lie leads to another lie. And then before he knows it, he's being sucked into this maelstrom of... Sounds, sounds good to me. I, I have to read that to find out what, you know, a good satirical book is like. <laughs> it was fun to write. I mean, one of the great things about writing satire is it is, you know, you can enjoy... Because you, you can put all your stuff in it. You can put all the things you hate and laugh at the same time. You can make it, you know, you can enjoy the humour. You can enjoy being with these characters. It's, it's, um, it's probably one of the most, most enjoyable books I've ever written. Excellent. Um, again, I, I want to unpick it just a bit further. Can authors who write in other genres add satirical elements to their books? And if so, how would they go about it? I would say, can they not? Um, my view of genre is it's very rare you get a book in one genre, mm. um, just like movies. Uh, if it's in one genre, it tends to have a it deliberately done so, it tends to have a slightly retro feel. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's, you know, that's what, how you would do um, something like, you know, the, the Al Capone movie, The Untouchable. Mm. Um, you know, it's a kind of gangster with a capital G. But most, most books and films have at least two genres, maybe more working away in them. Um, so, for example, Liam Glass is essentially, it's kind of a, a political crime story. Mm. Um, it's a thriller, which is the style of it. And, and it's a satire. So he's got, you know, so there's the crime of the, of the knife crime and, and then, and, and, the investigation there's the political stuff that's going on as 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 the the police and the politicians and the, and the rival journalists all kind of pile in there trying to make make the most of it before you know and, and stop jason doing his what he's trying to do um there's jason trying to to sell sell the story but also use the money to help med, get the medical treatment that the, the the kid needs so he's got a you know a bit of a, a good heart in the middle of all that um, so there's quite a lot of genre elements there. So I'd say do whatever genres you enjoy um, and but feel free to add in some satirical content. There's no reason why you can't, you know, be satirical about um, the state of the police. I mean, my, my, my book, Room 15, which is actually a psychological thriller, mm. it's about a detective with amnesia who thinks he might have witnessed a murder, but 
needs, you know, but someone's trying to kill him before he gets his memory back. Mm. Um, so that's a psychological thriller. But there, I, you know, I feel quite free to make some surgical points about the state of the police at the moment and the way that once you get to a certain level in the police, it's basically politics. It's about, you know, getting the, getting the numbers. It's about pleasing the guy above you. It's about pleasing the mayor or the, you know, the council or whoever's paying your bills. The prime minister. <laughs> or the prime minister, exactly. Yeah. So what would you say, um, what makes a really good satirical book or author? Um, don't hold back. You know, someone who does goes that extra distance. Um, you've got to you've got to really push. You know, push. You sort of you've got to be ruthlessly funny. You've got to be ruthlessly accurate, mm. and you've got to edit ruthlessly. Because right. you know, I mean, there's. With any comedy, there's always going to be stuff that didn't work that you had to try out, but you wouldn't know until you tried it. When I did, I did my um, also satirical sort of coming of age movie um, called uh, Paradise Grove. Um, we got into the cutting room, and I think we cut we cut out about forty scenes that we'd shot, and we cut in half about another forty. Um, and I felt really bad about it until I was watching a DVD. Remember DVDs? They used to have oh, these yeah. sort of yeah. And they had these wonderful commentary tracks uh, and they're like a film school themselves. And they had this great director who's not nearly as well known as he ought to be called Frank Oz, who's directed so many of the great Hollywood comedies. And I was watching Bowfinger, which is a lovely satire about the movie industry where Steve Martin is desperate to make his first movie before he's 50. Cause apparently, and it's true, actually the film industry is a very ageist industry. Uh, I had the same rush to get my first film done before I was 50. So yeah. I sympathise with that. And I was watching the commentary track. It's a very, very funny film, actually, if you get a chance to see it. Um, and Frank Oz said they cut about 40 scenes and they cut 40 and a half. He said, you know, and I felt a lot better about that because he said, you just don't know until you've actually shot it and looked at it on the screen or in the case of a book, read it and probably run it past mm-hmm. an editor. You're never quite sure which bits work and which bits don't, but you've got to try them out. So, yeah, those are the three things. You've got, you've got to be ruthless to write satire. You've got to be ruthlessly funny, ruthlessly accurate, because, mm. you know, suppose I made a joke about Boris Johnson and I made a satirical joke about him being too religious. No one's going to laugh because it doesn't make sense. He's no. not. <laughs> You'd have to find how something he is, mm. like a perennial liar. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to offend any Boris Johnson listeners. <laughs> No, I'm very happy to offend any Boris Johnson supporting <laughs> listeners. Uh, moving swiftly onwards before we alienate half of half of Britain. <laughs> um, no, but I know what you mean. You have to actually, it has to be realistic or people are not yes. going to believe it. So I was going to ask you what your top three tips would be for anyone writing satire, but I think you've told us that really in the three things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, you know, that's, that, that's it is... Um, yeah, I mean, um, and I mean, the sort of the, the, the fourth uh, is you still got to do all the stuff that a book has to do. You've got to have a strong plot. You've got to have characters that people care about. And it's weird because the characters are going to be fairly negative characters for the most part. So finding the thing for people to care about is, is, is probably the biggest challenge in satire, finding that character. With Jason, I, you know, I didn't want him, I, mean, I could have done him as just a, a totally, utterly evil person, but I didn't want to do that. I wanted you to feel kind of, if you were in that situation, you probably would have done the same thing. 
Mm. Um, and the other characters around him are even, you know, are, are more evil. So whatever he does, and he does some pretty, like I say, you've got to keep pushing, pushing him to do more and more and more. Mm. And that's part of the fun of it, saying, okay, you know, rather than just borrow these keys, maybe he can steal these keys. And, you know, rather than just, you know, sort of find a way to talk himself into the flat where the kid who's in a coma used to live, maybe he can break in. You know, you can always keep be further. You can always push further and say what's going to be more dramatic and funnier. Um, but you need to have the character that people are going to get invested in. No, that's really good advice, actually. Now, I know you've told us quite a bit about um, the Liam Glass, and I think that's a brilliant, it sounds like a brilliant book. Can you tell mm-hmm. us about your other books? Well, the other novel I've got out at the moment is called Room 15. That's the one about the cop with amnesia. Oh, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm really pleased with that. That took a long time to write. In fact, my books too, do take a long time to write, Um this one, um, I was horrified to find I had notes on it. It's going back to the 1980s. Oh, crumbs. Um, but amnesia is is a tricky thing because, of course, character, like we just said, is so important. And, of course, the moment someone's got amnesia, you've taken away a great chunk of their character because memories are so important. And I think that the biggest struggle all the way through writing that book, uh, which I um, I feel I've solved, I mean, I've got some very good reviews, Um is to you know to find that character despite that, and he's got he's got a kind of amnesia where he's just basically lost the last eighteen months of his life, um, and so to begin with, he's sort of he's walking along in the road and it's snowing, and he's um, he's wondering why because last moment he last thing he thought it was sunshine, he was having a party in his garden, um, but gradually he realizes that something pretty awful is happening. Well, he realizes first off because he looks down, he's got blood in his hands. Uh, and he's carrying a bag with some very strange things in it. And he's no idea where he is in this darkened street. Um, and he's got things in his pockets he doesn't recognize. And he's wearing clothes he doesn't recognize. Um, and from there he starts digging um, and digging and digging until he realizes there's something really awful been going on. But where is he in this awfulness? Again, it sounds like a fabulous book. I love the sound of both of them. I'm going to rush out and buy them. I think I've Good. already bought them. I'm going to read them next. Yes. I'm the sort of person, you download a book or you buy it in paperback and you think, right, I'll get that done tomorrow. And tomorrow never happens. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, if you had, well, you've got the video. Nobody else got the video. You can see a few of my to read books behind me and most of them are on the floor where you can't see them <laughs> yes precisely mine are in my office and i'm in the sitting room where it's a marginally warmer at the moment <laughs> so my final question uh for you charles is where can my listeners uh find out more about you and your books okay well i'll give you two places um for me simply it's www.charles-harris.co.uk yeah that's uh, um Charles as it sounds, hyphen as it sounds, H-A-R-R-I-S, because uh, there are apparently different ways of spelling Harris. Um, if you want, I've got, as I say, I've done a free book because I thought, I thought I've, I went on the internet to think, you know, everyone says, you know, sort of um, you know, the internet is a place to find things and you can find things for free. And I thought maybe I'd find a half dozen books of satire uh, and a few of them might be okay-ish. Mm-hmm. And I find, I found you could, read freely on the internet over 80 
great satirical books, including some of the some of the classics. You can read wow. Catch Twenty Two for free on the internet. Wow! You can read Lysistrata for free on the internet. You can read the script for Doctor Strangelove for free on the internet. Um, uh, there's a few in the book, so you know uh, that, that you have to pay for um, if you want to read them. But you don't have to. They're just ones at the end. Um, but you can download my book for free. It's called um, Laughing in the Dark. Um, and it, you can download it at www.satirebook.com. Uh, and that will take you to a page where you can find out about me, about the book. So satirebook.com. And that's a totally free download. Uh, all you end up having to do is give my email address to my mailing list where you'll get more information about satire and other books. Um, or you can just unsubscribe if you want to. Uh, no, hey, that's well worth getting. And the information will be good as well. So, hey, I'm going to sign up. I haven't done it yet. I know I said I would. I'm going to sign up mm. to your mailing list because I'm sure whatever you send out is going to be excellent. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I do my best. I have a have a loyal a loyal crowd who yeah. do say nice things about my blogs. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining me here in Scotland today, Charles. It's been lovely thank chatting you. to you. Yes, I wait for the oatcakes to be sent through. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> hey, we'll get you Dundee cake and oatcakes when you come up here. I look forward to it. I remember I have great fond memories of holidays. When I, my best friend used to come from, we used to live in Edinburgh and we used to go up and I remember the bread was fabulous. And yeah. Oh, the bread was very fabulous cake. in my house. Friday with fruitcake, I remember. That was a very Edinburgh thing. Oh, yes, absolutely. Right, Charles. Well, thank you very much. I'll let you get thank back you. to your uh, day. And I will see you in Brechen. Look forward to it. Thank you, Wendy. You're welcome. Bye. That brings us to the end of another show. It was really good to have you on the show with me today. I'm Wendy H. Jones, and you can find me at wendyhjones.com. You can also find me on Patreon, where you can support me for th- uh, as little as $3 a month, which is less than the price of a tea or coffee. You go to patreon.com forward slash Wendy H. Jones. I'm also Wendy H. Jones on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you found it both useful and interesting. Join me next week when I will have another cracking guest for you. Until then, have a good week and keep writing, keep reading and keep learning.